Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome, listeners. I'm here today with Jim Donovan. Let me tell you about Jim. Jim Donovan, M.E.D., is a professional musician, trainer, assistant professor, and director of music and wellness at St. Francis University, and a TEDx speaker. His TEDx talk, How to Trick Your Brain into Falling Asleep, has been viewed over 4 million times to date. And by the way, that's how I first found out about Jim. His mission is to share the healing power of music through education and performance. Donovan performs with his band Sun King Warriors and was a founding member of the multi-platinum band Rusted Root. There, he co-wrote the song Send Me On My Way, featured in the movies Ice Age and Matilda, among others. It also became the first song on Mars where it woke up NASA's Mars rover. Jim Donovan, welcome to the show. It's so great to be here, Bob. Thank you. So I want to begin by asking you the question, how on earth did you get involved in all of this? <laughs> it was on purpose. I, um, I was moved by music at a very early age. Uh, my grandmother had taken me to, to Disney World. I had come from a really very rural place with not, not a ton of culture. And I saw my first band there. It was a funk band playing the theme from SWAT, if you remember that 70s police show. Da -na -na, na -na -na. And I was ecstatic. I had never felt the live vibration from a band before. And I knew, I mean, I knew immediately, I don't know how, I'm eight years old, but I have to do that. That was the, that was the initial inspiration. And where did it go from there? I, uh, we had, my parents didn't have a whole, whole lot of, uh, money to buy instruments. And so I, I joined the Columbia record and tape club, Columbia house, uh, cause you can join it for a penny. And I had a penny <laughs> and I would sit in my room with drumsticks that I stole from the band room in high school. And I would play air drums to ACDC and Led Zeppelin and just imagine myself on the stage, uh, pretty much every day for hours. That was, that was my meditation. Uh, I didn't know it at the time. That's what it was. And that led me to University of Pittsburgh, where I encountered uh, all kinds of music I had never considered before. They had a great jazz program. I, I was a cl being classically trained at the time. And one of the things I got really interested in was the music of Africa. We had a, we had a really strong ethnomusicology department there. And so we had people from Central Africa in, and West Africa I'm sorry, and in West Africa, um, in the building with us all the time. We have, I got to have classes with some of the uh, great scholars, this guy named Kwabenya Nkatia, who uh, was one of my teachers there. And they had an African drum ensemble. And I was, uh, I remember walking through the halls and hearing them practice and just thinking to myself, what in the world is that? That, that feels so good. I don't understand it at all, but I gotta, I gotta have some of this. And so I, 
I joined the ensemble and uh, had my ass handed to me uh, 10 times over from these guys who were just these brilliant musicians, but, but they uh, were generous and they accepted me. They pushed me, but they you know, accepted me in and, and taught this, this young white kid from, from the sticks how to understand their music and their culture. And, uh, and it stuck with me to this day. Beautiful. So that's how you got started in in playing some of this music. Um, let's yep. let's talk a little bit about the the background also on the the theoretical part of it. So while you were learning to play this music, were you taking classes also in theory yes. or in in uh, cultural background? So I was taking um, you know, introductory courses to the music of Africa. So learning the you know, the cultural significance of music and how it isn't just for entertainment, although it does do that. I, I learned, you know, in all the the dozens of countries in the in the continent, within each country are these these sub genres of of culture and and music you know and i think about like how to even understand that in in terms here in the states and it's kind of like if you're in a state um the next county over could have a completely different language and different uh different drums different dances different culture altogether and you know, i learned that uh you know, African music isn't just one thing. It's it's a it's a massive collection of uh, of very old music that has uh, you know very deep roots, much much deeper than the roots we have here in the states with with our own music, which is only maybe a couple hundred years old at best. Um, but the the thing that really drew me to it was that it wasn't <laughs> it was very technical. But there's no reading of music. It's it's all oral tradition, and I remember the very first day walking into African drum class, and and the teacher from Ghana, his name was Damien Pono, was trying to teach us this this figure, and I said, "Well, just please write it on the board so I can read it out." And he's like, "No, <laughs> I'm not going to write it on the board. You just need to hear it and and understand it on that level," and and that really it hit me in a really unique way because to that point. I was, I think, uh, very intellectualizing, very much intellectualizing music and trying to see it, uh, analyze it, take it apart, which is valuable. Uh, and I found that I was missing a lot by making it a completely mental process. And what he was teaching me was, you know, you need to put these rhythms in your body, feel them in your body. And, uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of juice there. So how different is that from learning Western music? Western music, for me, uh, again, classically trained, is, is about uh, repeat what the composer has done, repeat it perfectly with precision and accuracy. And if you miss one note, it's wrong, which is understandable. These, these compositions are gorgeous. They are otherworldly, and so you want to do them right. In as I was learning this new music, new to me, uh, it was a different thing. It was more about serving the energy of the moment. You know, when we were drumming, we also had people dancing, and we were 
we were a unit together. The drummers and dancers were, in a way, considered kind of the same thing. We, we, we weren't separate. Uh, and it was all about how, how do we serve these people who are dancing, serve the movement, and, and send them energy so that they can really um, do their thing at, at, at a high level. We were also, you know, wanting to be accurate because these rhythms are, are very old and very specific, but it wasn't the same mentality. You know, it wasn't this, you know, it, there, in classical music, there's a lot of, uh, you know, frustration and beating yourself up and uh, a ton of stress for, for a lot of these young musicians. And here, it, it wasn't quite like that. It was, you know, you just, you know, if you make a mistake, you just, you figure it out and keep going or simplify if you need to. And what was it like for you trying to, to master this? In other words, so you, you came from this model of Western music, which yeah. was performance-based, and now you, you are put into this new environment of learning something that culturally is very different, but it also requires a different kind of experience, a different kind of connection to the music. Can you put that into words? Sure. Uh, to be clear, I, I don't think I, I would master this music in seven lifetimes. <laughs> it's, it is, uh, it's something that, that you know, people that come from the cultures are born, really born into and, and hearing from the moment they're in their mom's belly. And, and you can see it in the way that they move, in the way that they play, in the way that they react. Um, I still feel like a novice when it comes to it, even though I've been doing it since the 80s. And that's okay. I, I, can, I, can, I can be in deep appreciation and enjoyment at, at that level. What it did to me, though, as a musician is, is it, it really showed me more of what I was interested in, which is how music can move people physically, but also emotionally and energetically. And that, that, that's become a theme and a thread that has lived through you know, my, entire, uh, my entire career since, since age 19. That's, that's when it first hit. Wonderful. So let's go back to the let's go back to the 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 cultural aspect sure. of African music for a moment. And in in our culture, we think of music as something that we we listen to, we are entertained by it, maybe we dance to it. I mean, those are the the major uses of of music. Yeah. What about in African music? How else might music play a part in daily life sure it is as as i've learned it from from several different teachers part of the entire fabric of daily life and what i mean by that is it it, it is for dancing and it is for enjoyment and and you know playing at the bar and 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 having a great time uh, but then it goes a lot further where you know, like we might have traditional songs from our spiritual traditions here in the States, if you go to church, or you might have songs from your, uh, your lineage, maybe, maybe you know some, uh, some, some of the songs that soccer fans sing at the stadiums, you know, some of those kinds of things. But for, in, in 
and this is very generally speaking, but in, in African music, regardless of where you are on the continent, the lineage is much older. You know, the songs go back hundreds and hundreds of years and were passed down by really specific people in the uh, in the community. People were, were designated as the holders of the of the stories and the songs. Um, you know, the name for that is Grio, G-R-I-O-I-T, I, I think. And because of that, you know, people would experience music as a matter of course. So there's songs for working the fields. There's songs for very specific songs and dances and rhythms for when um, young men and women are courting each other. There's specific ceremonies for this. There are songs and rhythms and dances for when the fishermen come back from a catch and they're singing and dancing in gratitude that we get to eat today. There are specific drums and songs played when the, when the chief dies. And, and you might only hear these drums every 80 years. So maybe unlike the States, may, you know, unlike Western culture, it, it is, you know, the, the, the music is, is integral to daily life. Mm. And it's, and there's, there's a, co- a cohesion, I guess is a good way to put it, in, in the various cultures of which things go with which events. And that's a, a connection point between the people in the community. Got it. So we as Americans sometimes, you know, paint a broad brush and have, have ideas of Africa as being this unified place right and it's a huge geographic area it's a continent of many countries and even within those countries very very specific cultures that that vary from one another widely so to what extent can we talk about any kind of unity in the music you know to what extent is the music as different in its variety as the cultures are? Well, some context. I, I still know, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, I've heard of academics calling Africa a country, <laughs> <laughs> which drives me absolutely bananas. The, just just the ignorance, and par- part of that ignorance comes from uh, the, the lack of education in, in public school systems about these cultures in detail, in, instead of just you know painting things with a, a broad brush. When you when you even take a few minutes to check it out, you realize that there are uh, an enormous number of languages and uh, different spiritual traditions. I mean, j- just as as varied as um, as you could imagine. But some context, uh, land mass wise, so. One of my teachers comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo. So this is Central Africa, right in the heart. And he explained to me one time, and I, I looked it up, and it's true, that the Congo, just just that one country, is as big as the United States from Maine to the Mississippi. Just that one 
country. <laughs> so, you know, one thing we, uh, especially if we're, if you're older, uh, you, you've been seeing globes from the time you were a young kid and the maps on the globes are not drawn to scale. It makes the United States look larger than it actually is. Now, Google Earth does a pretty good job because it's an actual picture. So we have, we have these, these kind of skewed views of, of this place. Uh, not to mention, and we don't need to get into this, but just just the uh, the history of racism uh, that that goes with all of that. But the speaking of African music as a as a singular music, I think is probably a, a, a big mistake because you'll have in in northern Africa uh, very very different sounding music than you will in West Africa, and that music is very different sounding than Central. And same on the east, and same in the south. Like there, there are just they're as different as country music and new age music. Um, you know, one one thing, one commonality I do see though is 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 that community connection. How how the music holds the people together as in, in cohesion. Uh, especially those who are still living in more traditional settings, uh, from what I've heard from my teachers, that kind of the ur more urban the country gets, the the less that connection that continues to happen. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about what what happened when slavery brought music along with it to the new world. Um, sure. Yeah, so so take us through that process about how the music changed with that and what styles came out of that. Absolutely. So one thing that slave masters figured out early on is that the drums were powerful and the people's music were powerful and they... Uh, I've you know read stories and, and accounts of how you know the slaves were allowed to do their own music for a while on Sundays, but then they saw how much energy and how much joy came from this, and realized that that this was something they couldn't control, that the, the slave owners could not control, and so they would take away the instruments, and as a result. Uh, you know, the slaves would find, you know, just just things things around whatever they had around the area that would make any sound. Um, there's an instrument called a cajon, K-A-J-O-N, that arose from. Um, a, a, this is the story I heard. I, I don't have a I don't have a citation on it, but it was in the Caribbean where they had uh, banana boxes. You know, they they were on banana plantations, and they would use these wooden boxes as drums. They're you know, super hard on your hands and would use these in place of uh, the drums that were that were taken away. But this was the one thing that, you know, the slave, slave owners couldn't remove from from these people, which which was the, the remembrance of of their music. And as you know, as memory goes, sometimes we remember things differently over time. And so, of course, that music changed. And over time, blended with the other people's music, who were living in the in the various places where the slaves were, whether it was 
um, in Louisiana or the Caribbean or South America. And you see all, if you, you know, look, looking now in, into the music of these places, you can still hear rhythmic references to West African and Central African music. You know, there's there in reggae, there's there's really interesting stuff that comes from the Congo um, in some of the like the reggaeton music of the day. Uh, you'll hear you know, and, and soca music, you'll hear rhythms that come from West Africa. So it's, you know, the the interesting thing is how how these things all blended together with with the people. So with the Europeans who were in the in the New World with the indigenous people that were were already there and these brand new you know kinds of music would arise beautiful explanation um we're getting toward the end of our first podcast episode together and we'll explore some of this in greater detail in the next episode tell us why we should care sure well, we have this this beautiful planet. We have access to the world's information now. And this is relatively new, and there is so so much to enjoy if we allow ourselves to explore something new. And that's that's I think what what really hit me when I, I was. I had to listen to music from Africa as an assignment for a class. And I would go to the, you know, the music library at Pitt and I'd sit with headphones on and play these LP records. And I just, I was exposed to this music that just moved me. And I would have never even thought to do that unless someone said, hey, you should check this out. And then once I did, I couldn't stop checking out more of it. it it became an obsession and still and still is i love to explore these new things sometimes i don't like them uh sometimes uh i don't listen to them again but i often will find something new that that inspires me and uh, as a musician i'm i'm always interested in that kind of energy well Jim Donovan, thank you for being here for part one. Uh, let me just say as kind of a tease for part two, we have a lot to cover when it comes to understanding the work that you personally have done as a result of some of these experiences and how that is actually applied in everyday life of somebody who is an American who wants to know about music, wants to use music and make it a part of their life, even though they're not a quote unquote musician. And you are, in my opinion, the absolute perfect person to ask these questions of. So that's part of what we're gonna be looking at in part two. So Jim, thank you for being here for interview part one. Uh, you're welcome. I can't wait to tell you about all that stuff we just talked about. Sounds great. And thanks everybody for listening. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.